Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we asked the question, how do I know if I'm in a good church? We're joined by special guest Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks. The most important thing in any church you ever attend, in any place on the planet, in any season of life, is do they preach the Bible and the gospel faithfully? Do they make that the center of their life together? And when I want to say preach, I don't just mean the Sunday morning pulpit. I mean the singing. Is it word-centered? The praying? Is it word-infused? The relationships? Does it characterize their conversation? Is there a discipling ministry that spreads the work of the word in the church? Church is an essential part of the Christian life. You know, a Christian is never meant to live their life on their own. In fact, it's impossible. You know, being a Christian directly means and implies that you are now a part of the body. You can even gauge your spiritual health by seeing what your relationships are like with other Christians in the church. Anyways, this week we asked the question, how do I know if I'm in a good church? And as a quick reminder, the church is not a building, it's the people of God, right? So we've really used the word church badly throughout history. We all use it to mean that, you know, the gathered people at a building. And in some ways, you know, it is the gathered people. That's what it really is, but it's not the building. So for this conversation, you know, whenever we say church, we're, we're referring to a local gathered group of Christians meeting in a building or a home or a theater or whatever. So the reality is this. Even though we're all sinful until the day we die or Christ comes back, you know, this doesn't mean that we can look at every single church and think, well, you know, they're all broken, so it doesn't really matter which one I'm a part of. You know, I'm going to be frank and just say, you know, there are good churches and there are bad churches. You know, there are churches where the, the leadership team, you know, believe believes the Bible and they do all they can to strive for holiness and lead the congregation in holiness and the worship of of God. And and there are churches that don't do that. And it's because there are these two types of churches in our world that we're having this very conversation today and asking this question. So I hope and pray that as you listen, you'll consider where you're at and determine if it's a church, if it's a place that is helping you and those around you to worship God and to strive for holiness in a biblical sense. Now, to help me with this is Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks. It's a parachurch ministry specifically created for helping churches mature uh, spiritually. Now, before we get there, I just wanted to point out that there is an incredible opportunity to give financially to Indout this month in October. Now, you may never have even thought about giving to a radio or a podcast show, uh, but the reality is that we only do what we do by the generous funds of others. Now, I'd love to share more about this opportunity, and I will do that right after my conversation with Jonathan. With me today is author and editor Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan is the editorial director for Nine Marks. It's a a ministry for uh, the church, really, and uh, we'll get into more about what Nine Marks is in just a moment. But first of all, thanks for being here today, Jonathan. Thank you, Isaac. Um, Yeah. Do you mind first sharing about how you became a Christian? Yeah, sure. I, I grew up in a Christian home with faithful Christian parents who brought me to church and taught me the gospel. I would say, though, it was in my early 20s where I repented and believed. It was actually as a member of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. in the late 90s. Uh, I had joined the church because I understood the gospel, but it was as a member here that I think I I truly began to understand repentance and faith in a way Mm. that the Spirit applied to my life and to my heart and to my understanding. And uh, my life before that point had been characterized by living for the world in pursuit of pleasure. Mm. And it was it was in those those years, probably my early to mid twenties, yeah. 
working as a magazine editor here in town. Oh, okay. That that I my life changed and changed dramatically in the way that we think of tip, as typifying conversion. Yeah, no, that's good. And what what is your kind of average day look like right now? Because you know you're this editorial director for this ministry. So what what do you what do you do? Yeah, Nine Marks exists to equip church leaders with a biblical vision and practical resources for building healthy churches. And so that means our primary audience is church leaders and pastors. Okay. We also, though, have a lot of resources from just regular church members as well. So so they're not completely outside of our purview. Right. But primarily, we're trying to reach church leaders. So my typical day is going to be spent either writing or editing. Occasionally, it's traveling around and speaking. Not too much, though, that last bit on different matters related to church life. So, you know, lately I've been doing a monthly column in the Table Talk magazine and writing articles for that or writing articles for a blog, occasionally writing articles for TGC. Okay. Uh, most recently I've been writing a couple of books that, that uh, pertain to the stuff we talk about. So most of what I do is, is in front of a computer screen. That's oh. my typical day. Nice. That's good. Same here. So there you go. Um, now, for just for the sake of getting to know you a little bit more, what is something, you know, maybe a hobby or something that you can just kind of give us a little bit more about, like, your, you, who you are? Well, I hate the, I hate the hobby questions because I'm completely, <laughs> completely uninteresting. Oh, like my friend, my friend Bobby does all the same stuff I do. Okay. But he also plays jazz saxophone and surfs. <laughs> big wave surfing. That's interesting. That's I am awesome. Not, I am not interesting. I am a dad. I have four daughters. They're wonderful and precious, and we have a good time. I enjoy riding bikes with them and rolling around on the floor and wrestling with them. Hey, um, that's good. That's awesome. You know, I have a great, I have a great, great wife. I'm an elder in our congregation here at Capitol Hill. Yeah. So that's that's my life. There you go. That's awesome. No, no big wave serving or jazz saxophone no, playing. No, but maybe you know what? Maybe those are something that you can take up in the future. You can talk to Bobby and do that. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Um, you know, you've already kind of mentioned Nine Marks a bit, but do you mind just like letting us know that where that name actually came from for people that are unfamiliar with it? Yeah, sure. Uh, it originates from the title of a book that Mark Dever wrote called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's not the nine marks. In other <laughs> words, there's other marks that would be good to talk about. Sure. We just happen to talk about these nine marks. Right. His book was called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And, and basically what that book produced was a lot of pastors saying, hey, I need help on this. And, and suddenly the church staff here found themselves acting like an information helpline for, mm. for various pastors. And the Ministry grew out of that in response to all the questions pastors started to raise. Because what Nine Marks does and what it's unique at is pointing back to the Bible. I know that sounds really obvious and cliche, but in <laughs> fact, in fact, a lot of stuff written for pastors doesn't point them to the Bible. It right. points them to best business practices and the, and the latest trends and statistics on this or that. Right. And, and so along comes this book and along comes this ministry which says, hey, what does the Bible say? Let's check it out. And and suddenly pastors are like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. Sure, yeah. And so so the ministry back in the late '90s, early 2000s grew out of that. Okay. So so what's an example of one of the marks? Because I'm assuming it wouldn't be something like you know here, here's a principle on how to you know bring more people into your church some practical way or something. Instead of giving you an example of one, I'll give you an example of nine. How about that? That sounds great. Number one, expositional preaching. Number two, biblical theology. So not not are you just preaching the Bible, you're preaching the Bible that is is in accord with the whole Bible, right? Right, it's, it's, right. You got biblical theology. Third, a, a biblical understanding of the gospel. Fourth, a 
biblical understanding of conversion, repentance, and faith, mm. both, right? Not just believe or once saved, always saved, but repent and believe. Number five, a biblical understanding of evangelism. Number six, a biblical understanding of church membership. And seven, church mm. discipline. And eight, a biblical understanding of discipling and growth. And right. number nine, a biblical understanding of church leadership. Those are the nine marks. That's awesome. Yeah, not, I, not the nine marks. <laughs> right, but right, right. Nine marks. Yeah, not just these are nine marks that you really do believe in. That's great. Um, all right, let, let's jump in here. Um, Jonathan, would you agree with this with this point that because of the incredible, and maybe this is a, a simple a simple statement that is obviously true, but maybe not, I don't know. Because of the incredible advancement in technology and transportation in the past couple centuries, uh, a Christian's church-going habits look a lot different today than they did, you know, let's say in the 19th century or something like that. So first of all, would you agree with that? And secondly, what would those differences look like? Yeah, sure. The, mo the, the, the most immediate thing that comes to mind is the fact that church members, Christians, now live sort of spread out over a larger geographic region, right? So right. It's not unusual for people to drive 20, even 30 minutes to get to church. It's not unusual for them to find themselves in a neighborhood where no other member, members of their church live. Right. Uh, and what that does is that dramatically impacts the ability of a congregation, a family, a body— a flock to live together throughout the week. It's right. that much easier for church to become a Sunday only sort of attendance uh, activity. I show up for my 60, 90, 120 minutes, however long the service yeah. is, and that that's church. Right. Right. Whereas in, in, in previous times when people lived closer together, it was easier to integrate the rest of the body into my Christian discipleship, mm, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that we do in our own congregation, and we often tell churches to do, is to just begin little by little as a matter of Christian freedom, not as a matter of sin and righteousness, but as a matter of wisdom, right. to encourage Christians to look for uh, housing that's close, either to where the congregation meets or to other members of the church. So quick mm. illustration, when my wife and I moved back to, to D.C., uh, 11 years ago, we had a choice between a, an, uh, a church that, I'm sorry, a house that was 30 minutes away yeah. and a house that was 15 minutes away, but surrounded by other church members. The house that was 30 minutes away was newer, nicer, less expensive, <laughs> surround, surrounded by stores and restaurants. Oh, the, right. the house that was 15 minutes away was older, more expensive, flooding basement, rotting front porch, oh my and, no re and no retail nearby. <laughs> But again, there was like 50 other church members right around us, like right. blocks away. Yeah. And so I asked a couple of elders, I said, hey, listen, um, which house should I prioritize? The newer, nicer, less expensive one, kind of nodding my head, or the older, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, more expensive. And they, they said, Jonathan, prioritize relationships. Wow. And I kind of walked away slightly sad in my heart, yeah. but but cognizant of their wisdom. And yeah, not a, that was sure. 11 years ago, and not a day has gone by in which we've regretted that decision. Our, our life, my wife's life, our children's lives are rich with church relationships, and they, they, they aren't just Sunday. They're all week. Yeah, Hospitality good. is easier. Caring for one another is easier. Meeting, meeting to pray is easier. Evangelizing our neighbors together is easier. Yeah. All of this because we're, we're literally walkable from one another. Yeah. We're in Washington, D.C. We're a right. big urban area. Oh, for sure. Nonetheless, we have found a way to live close to one another. So that's just one illustration, hopefully yeah. pretty concrete, yeah. of how yeah modern times make both church and Christian discipleship in some ways harder. There's other ways we could say it makes it easier. If you're right. a missionary, 
goodness gracious, it's easier to stay in touch with people around the oh, world and sure. your family. So, yeah. so there's, there's advantages. Yeah. I'm just giving you a concrete one I want people to be aware of. Well, that's good. And, and you know, and this isn't to, to, to boost your ego at all, but it's just, you know, even looking around at, you know, let's say people buying houses right now, it, it, that's, I don't think that's on a lot of the forefront of a lot of Christians' minds, the idea of I need to, you know, choose a place that's going to be in a Christian community, whether it's by congregants of the same congregation or near the church. So I think that's really powerful. We need to see that more and encourage that. I would say to any, any, any person listening to this, I would say, hey, look, ask the same questions non-Christians are asking when buying a house or renting an apartment. Those are good questions. How much does it cost? Are there good schools nearby? Right. What's the retail like? Those are good questions, wise questions. But in addition to that, a Christian should also ask, will this allow me to do hospitality? Will this right. allow me to spend my week with other Christians? Will the cost of this back me up against the wall so much financially that I can't be generous with others? So right. a Christian asks the same questions as non-Christians, but additional questions as well That's good. in where we live. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to help all of us, especially the listeners, a- answer the question— how do I know I'm in a good church? That's that's the question I want to kind of uncover with you uh, in our remaining time here. So I think a good question to start with, and I, I think, you know, some of what you talked about in, about nine marks already kind of fits into this, but what constitutes a, a, a good church? You know, what, what, what necessities should we look for and experience in a local church? Yeah, the church is created by the word. That is what creates the universal church, is the word of the, of the truth of the gospel is pronounced. That's what creates a local church. So far and away, the most important thing in any church you ever attend, in any place on the planet, in any season of life, is mm. do they preach the Bible and the gospel faithfully? Mm. Do they make that the center of their life together? And when I want to say preach, I don't just mean the Sunday morning pulpit. I mean the singing. Is it is it word-centered? The praying, mm. is it word is it word-infused? The relationships, do people talk? about this? Does it characterize their conversation? Is there a discipling ministry that spreads the work of the Word in the church? Right. So it's so the, the, the ministry of the Word starts in the pulpit or starts in the evangelist's mouth, but it, it, it reverberates out. It, it, it echoes around in the rest of the life of the church. So when yeah. you walk into a church for the first time, first I'd pay attention to the sermons. How much time and attention do they give to exegeting the text? How much mm. time do they give to making the gospel clear? Or are they just taking the gospel for granted? you know, we're all Christians here. Yeah, yeah, we understand Jesus died and rose again for the for the remission of sins. Or are they really clear on that every week? Do they point how every text of Scripture uh, points in some way or another to the gospel? Right? right. So the first thing I want you to do is pay attention to the, the teaching ministry of the church and related to that, the discipling ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. Related to that, also the evangelistic ministry of the church. Is this a place you'd want to bring non-Christians? Mm. If you brought your non-Christian neighbors and colleagues and friends to church, would they hear the gospel? Would, would, they, would they see uh, and experience sensitivity to the fact that they're non-Christians there? Or mm. is this just sort of an insider's club? Right. So is it an evangelistic church? And then, then the next thing, so word-centered, gospel-centered, evangelistic. And then the next thing I would say is, um, do they practice meaningful church membership and discipline? Okay. Now, that might take different forms. I'm not talking about membership packets, membership classes. I'm not talking about the forms, the packaging. Right. right. Instead, I'm talking about the biblical essence, which is a self-conscious commitment uh, 
to commit to one another in the gospel. I, hey, I'm going to take ownership of you. You're going to take ownership of me and our professions of faith, our discipleship in Christ, so right, that right. we can spur one another on to love and good deeds and faithfulness in the gospel. Does the church commit to one another in that way? Do they have right. self-conscious membership, whatever right. packaging or forms that might happen to take? So, yeah, you you want to make sure they're doing that as right. well. So, okay, I know you said whatever package that takes, but could for someone, let's say a new Christian or someone that's not really in their church, the idea of membership or committing, you know, to that kind of stirring one another up, if that's not really prominent, like what, can you give us an example of what that could look like? What, what, I'm, what I was getting, getting out there, Isaac, is I'm just sensitive to the fact that a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Christians these days are a bit skeptical of the whole idea of church membership. Membership, that's not in the Bible. Where, right. where does it tell me to sign something? Right. Um, I guess Canadians don't have that particular accent. Yeah. It's a Southern American <laughs> accent. <laughs> yeah, thank you for <laughs> that. That's that good. Like. It's good. It's good. Uh, you know, and so I'm, I'm just sensitive. To, hey, no, look, membership packets, membership interviews, those things are not in the Bible. Let's, right. let's just agree right. on that. What is in the Bible, Matthew 18, is if— if, you know, a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. If he doesn't listen to you, take two or three others. And if he doesn't listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, there's an inside and there's an outside. And there's a putting a person out of of, of the church that, right. that the whole New understand, uh, Testament just understands. Right. And so just trying to be sensitive to any possible skeptics out there about the idea of church membership, trying to say, hey, look, what's the biblical essence? The essence is we're committing to, to each other in some way. Right. Now, ordinarily in the West, I would commend certain prudential practices like a, a membership class in which we explain, mm. hey, look, this is what joining our church looks like. This is what it means here. Mm-hmm. This is what you can expect of us. This is what we expect of you. Followed by a membership interview in which you sit down with one of the pastors or elders and you explain the gospel to them so that they can understand that, yeah, this person is a Christian. They understand it. Give them your testimony. Right. You know, so that's what we do. And then finally, in our context, it would, it would, it would, it would result or according to our convictions, I should say, as congregationalists, yeah. the whole church is going to affirm a person's profession of faith. So we, right. we introduce the person to the church, and the church votes in as sort of the last step of, of committing right. to one another. Right. So those are the mechanisms we would go through. Yeah. But look, this this isn't just a sign the bottom line sort of thing. Right. We're right. constantly encouraging and promoting members of the church to commit to one another, get to know each other, to have conversations, meaningful conversations, not just about football or baseball, but right. also about <laughs> the, 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 the have those conversations. Great. But in addition, have yeah. conversations about what God is teaching you, uh, yeah. uh, confessing sin to one another and so forth. So that's just a regular part of that discipling culture has right. got to be a crucial element right. of your membership. That's good. Now, I just, I'm throwing this out to you, Jonathan, a little bit, but say there's a new Christian, a young adult new Christian, and you know they see these two churches in their city. One has thousands of people, and it is the most looking, like, seemingly alive church. I mean, they're all over social media, and there's a small little church with significantly less amount of people. How would you encourage them if, you know, this big, massive church, you know, probably wouldn't have, I'm, I'm saying this uh, hypothetically, you know, let's say the same kind of membership kind of commitment, whereas this little church would, what would you encourage to that person who's looking at these two different churches? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to prejudice anybody towards a big church or a small church in this particular way. I don't want to prejudice right. them in terms of, uh, you know, their social media presence. I mean, 
you can have really healthy, awesome big churches and really unhealthy small churches. Sure. And yeah. vice versa. That's right. That's completely so, right. So I guess I guess the first thing I would say is just, you know, make sure that you're not paying too much attention to some of those surface trappings. Mm. And instead, think I mean, think about Jesus. I mean, is he is he hanging out with the, the big popular people or is he hanging out with the, the prostitutes and the and the widows right. and the, the, right. the tax collectors and so forth? Because so in other words, what we're evaluating isn't the stuff on the surface. The stuff we're evaluating is a commitment to God and God's word. Yeah. Again, think of Mary and Martha, and and, and Martha hustling about. And Mary is is just sitting at his feet listening, and and Jesus says to Martha, you know, Mary has done the most important thing. She's right. Just kind of sit quietly, and and listen to Jesus. So as I'm walking into these two churches, I'm asking the question: Are these people serious about God and God's word and mm. the gospel and knowing God and loving each other in the gospel and encouraging one another gospel? Or are they about something else? Are right. they about this? Maybe the small church is just into kind of, it's a social club, always done it this way. These are our friends. Maybe the big church is about being hip and cool and authentic. Right. You know, big churches and small churches alike can go wrong and pay attention yeah. to the wrong things. Right. So That's again, good. I don't want to prejudice you in one direction or another on those things. Right. But I do want to say, pay attention to the more important biblical, deeper, harder to see things. That's good. That's really good. Uh, and, and Jonathan, one other kind of extra question in here too that I was thinking about. And uh, yeah, is, how do we protect ourselves or build ourselves up to a point where we aren't just necessarily influenced by our church in the wrong direction? Because a church's stance can could change on doctrine or practice or whatever. I think of the many churches, you know, accepting different things, you know, as culture changes. So, yeah, how do we protect ourselves from just kind of blindly going along with what our church that maybe started out in a good place? Uh, yeah. Do you, know, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Right. Well, let me give you two answers to that question. All right. The, all right. the first answer, let me let me plug church government and polity, the thing that church Christians never like talking about these days because <laughs> it seems like, hey, that just divides us. Right. Um, uh, Christians disagree. Does the Bible really say? Well, no, polity, church government, is not essential for salvation. True. But church government, polity, is important because it's what protects the gospel. So mm. the gospel creates the church, and the church and its government protects, displays the gospel. So we right. need to pay some attention to that. And so for those reasons, this is still the first part of my answer, I'd say, hey, listen, <laughs> you should pay attention to church government. Right. Now, point two, I would say, look, there's something to be say for, for congregationalism, where the congregation actually has the ability to fire the pastor. Right. So when the pastors come out and say, hey, look, the Bible says X, and X is in fact not what the Bible says. Right. Uh, I'm thinking of, of one church in San Francisco, a PCUSA church, where the, the, the pastors came out one day and said, you know, the church, te- you know, the Bible is fine with people being being homosexual. Right. Well, no, in fact, the Bible doesn't say that. And those, right. that, that congregation should have fired those elders, should have fired those pastors. But of course, they couldn't do that right. in that particular church structure. Okay, well, in, no matter what kind of church you're a part of, whether whether Presbyterian, Congregationalist, Anglican, whatever, right. I would say, how do you equip yourself? And this is the second part of my, to, to your answer more right. more directly. I would just say, read your Bible, study the Bible. Think about the Bereans. They, they, they listened mm. to Paul and they studied God's word to see if what Paul said is true. That's good. That's or think good. of Paul, think of Paul in Galatians one. He says, if, if even apostle or an angel from heaven comes to you preaching a different gospel than when I, when I preached, let him be condemned. I'm doing right. that from memory. That may not be exact words. Right. <laughs> um, in other words, I don't care if the pastor says, I don't care if an apostle says, I don't even care if an angel from heaven 
Paul right. says, right. gives to you a different gospel. Let him mm. be anathema. Let him be condemned. Wow. In other words, Christian, member of the church, you have a job to do. And your job before Jesus is to know the gospel yeah. and guard the gospel good. by make by making sure that uh, the, the, the elders, the pastors are continuing to be faithful to the truth. Right. That, that's really good. Thank you for answering that. It's awesome. Um, you, you've obviously had some experience now in church ministry and helping out with Nine Marks and Capitol Hill and all that. Firstly, what—we have about four minutes left here. So what bad kind of habits do you see among young adult Christians in regards to church engagement? And then after that, what good things are you seeing? Well, I think Christians tend to err in one of two two ways uh, when it comes to their engagement with the church. Either they 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 err in the direction of non-engagement, right, mm-hmm. and living the Christian life independently of the local church, which is which is very foolish. Right. I mean, we're not the world expert on ourselves. We need the body of Christ to help mm-hmm. us see ourselves clearly. Jesus commands us to be a part of it. So, so we 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 err, we sin towards non-engagement. But also, I think it's easy, and I don't think this is as as common. But it's out there, so it's worth speaking a word to it. Okay, uh, uh, an, a legalistic, authoritarian hmm. uh, form of engagement in pro. So, I mean, there are abusive churches. There are legalistic churches which bind the conscience and bind the members right. in places the word doesn't, hmm. which uh, exercise authority abusively. So, we haven't talked much about that today because I don't think that's the main problem out sure, there. Sure. Now, people coming out of those churches say that's the main problem. I get it. I'm of sympathetic, course. but I think the main problem just statistically, is, is loosey-goosey non-engagement. Hmm. Nonetheless, you need to pay attention to errors in both directions. That's good. That's good. Does that answer your question? It, it does. Now, what, do you see any kind of good things amongst the kind of general landscape? Yeah, I'm encouraged by, you know, nine marks began by talking about mark number one, expositional preaching. But frankly, we find that we don't have to talk about that as much anymore because mm. so many other voices out there are, are promoting that. A lot of churches get that. Right. Now, I don't think everybody who thinks they're expositionally preaching are expositionally right. preaching. That's another conversation. <laughs> sure. Nonetheless, I'm encouraged by the commitment I see by a lot of young pastors out there to that topic. Certainly encouraged by the recovery of uh, a vision for a plurality of elders, both staff and non-staff, recognizing, right. hey, it's just not one guy who feeds us. The, the, the more, the merrier. Yeah. More hands for the harvest is good. So encouraged by a recovery of of a vision for plurality of, of, of elders. I think a lot of Christians are taking sound doctrine more seriously, mm. and that's very encouraging. That's great, Jonathan. Um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Honestly, it was great. Um, if you're listening and you're interested in more of what Nine Marks can offer and help you with, uh, and maybe in terms of questions of church ministry, engagement, things like that, uh, I'd encourage you to check out ninemarks.org, and, and that's the actual number nine, uh, and then the word marks. Uh, yeah, they just have a ton of resources on there that can help you just gain wisdom and insight from. But anyways, thanks again, Jonathan. I hope to have you back on the show again soon. I enjoyed the conversation. That was editorial director Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks. Again, the URL for that website is the number nine and then marks.org. And there you're going to find tons of resources free uh, that really help the church kind of succeed and grow spiritually. Again, I'll have all the show links on the episode page as well. Anyways, about this opportunity, uh, recently some supporters of Endowed got together to create a ministry match campaign. Now, this means that every dollar you may give, they match it one for one up to $12,500. So, say you give up one coffee for today, uh, $5, and you donate that money. Well, that five becomes 10, 
or a gift of 10 would become 20, and I think you get the idea. So that's up to $12,500. So if this is something that you feel like you could do and you want to do, uh, you can call us to make that donation at 1-800-663-2425. You can text to give by texting 604-670-5179, or you can always just give online at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada, or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Also, we had our very first of three live stream Bible studies last Thursday, and we have two more this Thursday and next. Now, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, if you want to do this, it's through the book of Romans. Just head to indoubt.ca slash Bible study for all the details to participate in this free event. You can connect with us this week online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe your stories, comments, questions, concerns, anything that you may have about today's conversation or anything about our ministry. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we don't ask a question about our church's maturity, but we ask, how do I know if I'm singing good songs? Super honored to have Keith Getty chat with us, writer of the popular Christian song, In Christ Alone. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.